0: you, that you are our rock, you are our salvation, that you never change, that you're our anchor, you're our refuge. Lord, I pray that that would become more and more real to us this morning. I I, um, would say, Lord, uh, that what you have for us this morning, I believe, is a very, very simple truth. I pray, Lord, that you would give that truth clarity in our lives. That would we would receive it as we hear your voice and not the voice of a preacher, Lord. That um, that you would use your truth in our lives to change us and to draw us closer to you. I pray, as John the Baptist has prayed in the past, may I decrease so that you might increase. Lord, don't let this be, please, I beg, just another Sunday morning, just another service. When we sit and, and, and talk with you and, we, and when we sit and receive from you, it's always unique and it's always special. May that be our experience today. Accomplish what you would. Get us out of the way so that you might accomplish what you would. And we thank you in advance for that. And we pray in your name, amen. Amen. Hey, um, we're going to talk about hope for two or three weeks. Uh, I think that we don't talk about that enough. I think it is an essential element of our Christian experience. Uh, If that is true, if hope is that important in our lives, I wonder how you might define hope. If you were to be asked, what is hope? How would You respond to that. We do have this tendency to think of hope as our fingers are crossed and we are thinking, maybe so. I think so. I hope so. that's, That's my desire. That's what I wish for. I hope so. That tends to be our, 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 our tendency. However, that's not at all the way the Bible defines hope. As a matter of fact, I would tell you this morning that any time that we see the word hope in Scripture, we can know that what that word means is the certainty of a future event. It is also used in connection with the certainty of a promise that is made to you as a believer the certainty of a promise fulfilled hope the apostle paul defined hope this way first timothy chapter 1 he's writing to his student his disciple if you will timothy who would carry on his work after he went to heaven paul writes to timothy and he says paul an apostle of christ jesus by command of god our savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Paul is saying, my hope is in Jesus. The King James says it this way, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Paul found his hope in something, in someone who is unchangeable. King David in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 62, verses 5 and 6, in a difficult time in his life and circumstances when he was really down, he got alone with God and he said this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For God, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. What is your hope in? Paul's hope was Jesus Christ. David's hope was in his God. We cannot survive without hope. Hope is essential. Without hope, we have no desire to live. If there's no hope, We have no desire to carry on. We have no desire to persevere. We have no desire to invest in the life of others. We have no desire to serve. If there's no hope, we have no desire to love. We need hope. Hope is essential. We run into trouble sometimes in our lives when we find ourselves putting our hope in things that are not certain we find ourselves putting our hope in a doctor or in a retirement account or maybe in a relationship that we have. The Apostle Paul and King Davis tells us that their hope is anchored, strong, steadfast when their hope is in God. Because He never changes. Because He is faithful. Because He is strong. He is certain. When we define the word hope and when we use the word hope in our lives, it ought to be a certainty of a promise that He has made or a future event that He has told us about. Now, Hope is essential. I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter 2. We'll read just a few verses. Jesus himself is speaking through the Apostle John to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a very strong church in the first century. It was a church that was established by the Apostle Paul. After planting that church, he actually stayed there for three years or more to teach them and to structure them and to encourage them. And this was a very evangelistic church. And this is a church whose membership, if you will, were growing in their faith. They understood spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. Now Paul is dead and gone. And through the Apostle John, Jesus says these words to the church at Ephesus beginning in the second verse of the second chapter of Revelation. I know your works your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, how you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. and You have not grown weary. In verse 4, Jesus says, but I have this against you. Here's Here's an area of disappointment for me. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus there is talking about their relationship with him. You've abandoned the love you had at first. And so here's what I would have you do, Jesus says. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If you refuse to do that, if not, he says, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. I will deal with the the body of believers, this church at Ephesus, unless you repent. I want to suggest to you, look, I want you to think of a very, very, very close relationship that you have. Hopefully you'll think of your spouse if you're married maybe it's a, a best friend maybe it's a sibling have you ever experienced when you sensed that their devotion to you their love for you was wasn't what it used to be have you ever sensed that <coughs> can you can you remember the kind of emptiness that that brings in your life the question marks Can you remember the passion with which you so desired that you could experience that that devotion again and that love again? I I think what I'm trying to do is get you to sense the passion of Jesus here. This isn't just a time of instruction to the church at Ephesus. Jesus is saying, man, I, I see what you're doing and, and I see you being obedient and I see you fulfilling your calling and I see the work and I see the perseverance and I understand that, 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 you, that, that you abide by truth. But, but, but man, here's an area of disappointment. My heart, Jesus says, is saddened because you don't love me like you used to. Relate to the passion of Jesus here as he calls his church back to himself. This area of disappointment, this thing I have against you, as Jesus put it, it wasn't a a work problem or a serving problem. They were busy for the Lord. They were serving other people. It, It wasn't an information problem. They knew what they believed. They believed in the truth. They knew the truth. And when, when some would come and try to tell them things that, that weren't the truth, they would test them and throw them out. It wasn't an information problem. It wasn't a problem of burnout. These were a, this was a church that, that persevered. This was a church that, that kept on keeping on. It was a love problem. That's important for us today as we begin to investigate and discover this idea about hope because I want to suggest to you, I, I want you to believe and accept that the further we are apart in our relationship with Jesus, the, the greater chasm that exists in that intimacy with Him, in that in that love with Him, in that devotion to Him, in that interaction to Him, in spending time with Him, the the, the more we drift away from that, the more we tend to put our things, the more we tend to put our hope in things that are not certain. Our love relationship with Jesus brings us to a place of understanding that He is our anchor, that He is our hope, that He is our certainty. When we walk around equipped with the hope that we have in Jesus, it changes the way we respond to any given circumstance in our life. It's essential. And so we are are called to examine, if you will, our love relationship with Him just as Jesus called this church at Ephesus to examine their love relationship with him. He says, you've abandoned the love you had at first. I looked in some other translations. The NIV says, you've, you've forsaken your first love. King James says, you left your first love. I think that we can kind of relate to that, can't we? This is something that happens in our spiritual life, in our spiritual journey. The reality is this, we have spiritual highs, and we have spiritual lows. So we ought to be able to relate to this. Spiritual lows come when we begin to drift in our devotion to Him, when the intimacy with Him begins to diminish, when we just don't love Him, as we did at one time. I don't think that there's a person in this room who has a relationship with Jesus that can't think of a time in your life where you loved Him more than maybe you do this morning. You can think of that. You can remember that time. You can remember the events that led up to that time. You can remember that intimacy. And we need to be able to really relate to that and to to really understand how that impacts The spiritual journey in our relationship with God. I think that we can relate to that if we consider some of the, if you will, male-female relationships that we've experienced in our life. Most in in here have experienced marriage. You you, you understand that male-female relationship. You understand the passion of that early love and that first love. You understand what can happen to that. That first love, consider it, remember it. Do you remember when it was first ignited in your heart, the insatiable desire that you had to learn about the other person? You just wanted to know all there was to know about that other person. Imagine, if you will, you're sitting at dinner together. It's early on in the relationship. The fire is burning. He looks across the table at his love. He's not touching his food. He wants to talk. He wants to talk. Yeah. He wants to talk, to have a real conversation. And he says, tell me, tell me about your your past. Tell me about your family. Tell me about things that hurt you. Tell me what's going on in your life right now. Talk to me. Tell me about your plans. I want to know all there is to know about you. There's this insatiable desire to learn. And then, I don't know what happens. Over a course of time, maybe for some it's months, maybe for some it's years, But all of a sudden those same two are out to dinner together. Something has changed. He's focused on his plate. He's eating with both hands. Food falling onto his shirt. He's complaining about the price of the food. There's no conversation going on at all. He has abandoned his first love. He's left his first love. Do you remember in that first love that there was this desire to make a heavy investment in the relationship? You wanted to make an investment of your time. You wanted to be with her all of the time. Hey, where do you work? Can I come by and see you? See where you work? Hey, can I just stop and kind of watch you work? I just want to be with you all the time. There's a heavy investment of financial resource of of money. Order anything you want, baby. Right? Whatever you want. There comes a time, I'm not sure what happens that he's telling her what side of the menu she can order from. They go to the mall together. I want to buy you something. I want you to pick out something nice. I, 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 I want to, I just want to give. Man, when you love, you give. And I love you and pick you out something. I want to buy it for you. Well, first, let's consider that he went to the mall with her. I mean, there will come a time in the relationship when going to the mall with her is like doing hard time. You know? And she comes home from the mall and he wants to know, what what did you buy? How much did you spend? Are we going in debt? Y'all get the picture. That first love, there's this preoccupation of your mind. That person is all you can think about. Difficult time concentrating on anything else. but Somewhere along the way, well, I think you know the point that I'm trying to make. You get the picture. What I want us to see this morning is the same kind of experience can happen in our spiritual life, in our relationship with Jesus. It happens because we tend to have these spiritual highs and spiritual lows. It's a very common thing in our lives. We all experience this in our spiritual journey. We don't feel as close to God as we did at one time. If we could just go back and, and remember that time when there was this insatiable desire in our hearts to know Him and to learn more about Him, the idea of missing a worship service, that would never occur to us, or missing a life group or missing a Bible study. As a matter of fact, we would take... Uh, any of our discretionary time, and we, we would use that time to dig into the Word or to listen to a radio program. Whatever we could, we, we had this insatiable desire to learn about Him, but somewhere along that journey, somewhere along that path, it's just, it's not that same burning desire that we had. There once was a heavy investment of our time and our talent and our money Whatever God led us to do, man, we were ready to do. We we, we got excited about serving. We got excited about giving. But somewhere along the path, it's just not what it used to be. There was a preoccupation of our heart. Man, we could think about Him. We we would think about Him in difficult situations. Our God is my anchor. He never changes. He's all-powerful. He loves me perfectly. He's, He's infinite in knowledge. He has all authority. He can do whatever He wants to do. His love for me never changes. It never goes away. It never runs out. I can depend on His love. It was a preoccupation for us. We believed it with all of our hearts. It's something that we embraced and it changed us believing that. It changed the way we responded in any given situation. What happened to that love? I think that Jesus gives us a hint in the fourth verse of our passage of Scripture. He says... Here's an area of disappointment for me. Here's something I have against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. I think it's interesting. You've moved away from the love. You've abandoned the love. You've forsaken the love. You've left the love. He doesn't say you lost it. You still have it. It just doesn't have that priority in your life that it once did. You can say that about that, that, that most intimate relationship in your life. You know you haven't lost it. It's just not the priority it once was. So how does that come about in our lives? Can I suggest to you the, or, or maybe remind you about something that we studied just a couple of months ago? We don't allow the love, the intimacy, the relationship that we have to Je- with Jesus to be the priority that it once was in our life because we choose not to. It's a choice that we make because love is a choice. Maybe it's the result of a whole bunch of small choices that we kind of strung together. But we come to a place where we find that that love that we had for Him is not what it once was. And Jesus says... I love you just the same. And I want you to love me the way you did. And I want you to see the passion in Jesus when he says that because you can relate to this. You've experienced it in your life. He says, let me tell you what I want you to do. In verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. He says, remember. He says, repent. And then he says, do the works you did at first. You get the the idea here that that, that, that He had commended them for their works, and then He says, do the works that you did at first. It seems as if Jesus looks upon our serving and our obedience and our investment in Him differently when we're doing it because we love Him than, than He does when we're doing it because we're just kind of obligated to do that. See the passion in Jesus when he says, here's how you should respond when you find yourself in that situation. The first thing he says is, I want you to remember. I want you to remember. Hey, hey, in just a moment, a short moment, we're going to come to the communion table. Oh, when we do that, it makes Jesus smile. But at what that table is all about is Remembering. That's what he says to us over and over and over again. In 1 Corinthians, when he talks about the communion table, he says, remember, 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 remember. In the gospel accounts at that Last Supper, and they had the, that com- time of communion together, he said to his disciples, Remember, 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 remember. He says to us who sense that the intimacy that we have with Jesus isn't what it once was, he says to us, remember. Remember my great love for you. Remember those times of intimacy that we've had together. Remember that your hope is in him. Remember when you loved being with him, when you loved spending time with him. Remember. Remember the difference that made in your life. Go back in your mind and put yourself in that situation and remember. Remember how it made a difference in the way you handled difficult circumstances in your life as you begin to ponder these things, as you begin to remember these things, as you begin to even relive some of those emotions and some of those experiences and some of that truth that you poured into your life, I want you to remember the desire for more intimacy that you had. And as you remember those things, you'll sense that that desire will come back. You'll begin to desire the kind of intimacy you had again. And you'll begin to make the kind of choices that will allow you to once again experience that intimacy. And as as that desire grows, here's what Jesus says, you should repent. How does that word make you feel? Sometimes I sense there's a bad connotation to the word repent. We think turn and burn, turn or or burn. Repent's a Bible word. And it's really kind of simple, and the application is so very, very clear. I put it there on your notes because I think it's important that we remember this. Repent simply means that I recognize that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and so I turn and move toward where I'm supposed to be. It's a choice. It's a decision that we make. Repent. Then he says, do what you used to do. You choose to do the things that you did before, the things that nurtured that relationship. I hope that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, revealing to you where you're at in your relationship with Him. As we begin to apply these instructions that Jesus gives in our lives, we begin to once again experience the love that we had for Jesus. But we're talking about a relationship here, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're talking about what Christianity is all about. It's a relationship. It involves two people. It's not only our love for him. Because it's easy for the preacher to stand up here and say, love God, love God, love God, love God, love God, love God, love God. But we need to be reminded this morning that we love him because he first loved us. In order for us to grow in our love for him, we need to remind ourselves that he loves us unconditionally. We need to remind ourselves that his love for us never fails. We need to remind ourselves that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. We need to remind ourselves that God has not only told us that he loves us, the Bible says he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. Oh, how he loves you and me. I hope we'll remember that as we go to the communion table together. Remember that his love never fails. Remember that his love is certain. Even when your life is really messy, God loves you. Even when there's been some bad decisions, God's love never fails. I close with this. There's a Christian author named Jeanette George and she wrote about a personal experience she had in one of her books. Let me share this with you. She was on a flight from Tucson to Phoenix. Seated next to her was a young woman with a small little baby girl. Jeanette describes that baby in her book. She says she was so beautiful. She was wearing a white dress and her hair was fixed just so and it had a little pink bow in it. And the baby was smiling really big, and the baby kept saying this, Dada, 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 during the first part of the trip. The woman who was with the baby, her mother, explained, we're going home, we've been away for a few days, and she can't wait to see her daddy. Everybody on that plane was enjoying this adorable little girl. While they're sitting there on the plane, the mother, who has a thermos of juice, was feeding the little girl and she would give her fruit and she would feed her juice and she would give her more fruit and feed her more juice and give her more fruit. And yeah. You know where this is going. The baby starts crying. Maybe it had something to do with the pressure and her ears were popping and the more she cried, the more fruit and juice that she got until the plane hit a air pocket. There was turbulence, and a whole lot more came out than went in. And it was a big, big mess. The baby's face was a mess, and her hair was a mess, and her dress was a mess. And she was kind of everywhere, if you know what I mean. People around were very kind and were reassuring this young mother that it was okay as they handed her tissues and ran for cover. When the plane landed, the little girl seemed to be fine again. She started saying, Dada, Dada, again. Jeanette George writes, she was fine. Nobody else was fine, but she was fine. Jeanette George says when they got off the plane, she spotted the daddy. Jeanette George did. She said he was standing there in white pants and a white shirt holding white flowers. As he walked toward his wife to embrace her, she just handed him the little baby girl as she was on her way to the bathroom to clean up. Jeanette George says this in her book, I thought when he looked at how nasty that little girl had gotten, he would say, she's not my baby. I don't know whose baby she is. But that's not what happened at all. That daddy took that little girl in his arms and he started kissing her, stroking her hair and saying over and over again, Daddy's babies come home. Daddy's babies come home. Jeanette George writes, I watched them all the way to the baggage area. He never stopped kissing that baby. And this thought occurred to me. Where did I ever get the idea that my Heavenly Father is less loving than a young daddy in a white shirt and white pants with white flowers who does not care what his little girl looks like or what she smells like? He's just glad she's home. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you think to yourself, you know, that's something that I would like to have, but my life is so messy. Jesus says to you, come to me just the way you are. Let me clean you up. Please don't think that you have to get cleaned up before you come to me. He beckons you to himself. You're a believer this morning and maybe your life is messy. I pray that you might see the passion of Jesus when he calls you to himself. You might think, God wouldn't want me like this. You could not be more wrong. He wants you to come home. You need to remember how much He loves you. You need to take whatever step is necessary. Maybe it's to remember. Maybe it's to repent. Maybe it's to begin doing the things that you did, but take whatever steps are necessary to move closer and deeper in your relationship with Him. He wants you in His arms. No matter what. Because His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out. That's hope. Because that's certainty. That never changes. Lord Jesus, as we come to your table this morning, I pray that this would be a time of intimacy with you. I pray that as we recognize and experience your presence in our lives, that we would have the freedom to be honest with you and transparent with you and open up our hearts to you. Lord, if there's a time in our life when we're closer to you than we are today, we confess that and we thank you that you've already forgiven us of that. And We thank you that you hold open your arms and you beg us to come and allow you to embrace us. May that be the experience of individuals in this room this morning. What greater time, what better time to experience that in our lives, Lord Jesus, than at Your communion table where You have asked us to remember how much You love us and how You have demonstrated Your love for us. Lord, may we be inundated, flooded, overwhelmed by Your love even at this very moment. Oh, how He loves us. We need to experience your love in our lives. And Lord, you have given us this opportunity at your table to do just that. We praise you and we thank you for this opportunity. May we not waste it. Have your will and way, we pray and and believe, thanking you in advance. Amen. Amen.